Welcome to this week's edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Hume, and I'm here to take you through the very latest news and views, hints, tips, and tricks to help you on your property journey. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. Welcome. It's the 2nd of June, 2023, Ladies' Day at Epsom. And if you're going, I hope you have a lovely time. Uh, on to the property news. Now, first of all, what's going on with the market? Lots of people are asking me this question, and it's probably the most asked question right now, and understandably so, given everything that's going on. Well, looking at nationwide house prices, they fell by 3.4% in May. Now, if you average it out, what we find is that property prices were down about 5% from the peak of the market. And when you think that they were up 7% over the past two years on average, the net result is about nil for the last couple of years. So it's kind of neutral. And the reason for that is one of supply, a real lack of supply of new instructions coming to the market, which is hardly surprising given the rising interest rates and predictions are with inflation looking so high. Particularly, the one thing we all expected was that when inflation fell in terms of the fuel prices, then we would find that prices fell generally. And that's not been the case. What's actually happened is that food prices have been stubbornly high and we're looking at food prices over the course of the last year, a rise of over 23%. And I think the average is 19%. And that's huge, isn't it? And the problem is, whilst we've got such high food price inflation, I suspect we're in for some more interest rate rises. Commonly held predictions are for another 1%. That 1% will be in 0.25% jumps. And the reason for that is that's how the MPC, the Monetary Policy Committee, tend to do things. And I would expect that to happen over the next few months. So I think within the next six months, interest rates will probably be 1% higher than we, they are now. This has been reflected through, if you look at the swap rates, these are the rates at which lenders choose to um, get money from. And it means that whatever the swap rates are, that's the money, that's the amount that they're paying for that money. And therefore, they directly affect you as a mortgage holder. Now, one of the problems here in the UK is many of us hold short term fixed rates. So we have fixes of between one and five years. And obviously, when those fixed rates end, then we're exposed to the wider market. And right now, ideally, is not the time to be exposed to the wider market. So, uh, yeah, it's tough out there and it's going to get a little bit tougher. So what can you do if you're selling and you're finding things really tough right now in terms of the number of people coming through your door. Well, it doesn't always have to be about price. A lot of people think price is the only thing that you need to do in order to uh, you know, get more traction on your house sale. The first thing to say is don't forget the number one thing, visual. People see visual before they read. So when you're looking at instructions on right, move and Zoopla, the first thing you see is that first shot. So ask yourself the question, is the front of your house or flat looking as sharp as it possibly could do, given the competition is intense out there. And if the answer is no, get it taken again. Sort of hints, tips and tricks are paint your front door, uh, not too gaudy a colour, perhaps some flower baskets or, or maybe some small trees. They can be very effective just to give a good backdrop to the frontage of your house. Make sure the lawn is mown if you have one and the flower beds attended. But with all that said, the most important thing when it comes to your house and selling it is its price point. It needs to be pitched at what we call the sweet spot. That means that if people aren't viewing your home and you can't figure out why, one of the reasons may be price. And 
the way to gauge that is by going on to Rightmove yourself and popping in your postcode and your price range that your property is currently advertised at and look at the competition and be objective about it. Look at the other houses you're seeing and say to yourself, if I'm a buyer in the market right now, am I looking at my house or am I looking at these houses? And if the answer is I'm looking at these houses and ask yourself why, is it because they're presented more beautifully? Is it because they've got that curb appeal right? And if they have, you need to compete with that by making sure yours is. Is it because yours is at a much higher price point than theirs? You know, that's another issue. And the other thing is, don't underestimate the importance of being with a good agent. If you're with an agent that's not proactive in a tougher market, especially now, they don't know what to do when it gets quiet. And a good agent will be proactive. They'll be reviewing, looking at strategy, talking to you about how they can best market your home for you. Another little trick is to change the main picture on the internet. So imagine you're scrolling through pictures all day, looking for houses in a particular price range. You're looking at the front shop first and foremost, and you get used to those pictures. And over time, over a week or so, most buyers will be very familiar with the shots of the houses in the price range they're looking at. If you change that front shot to put potentially a garden shot or maybe a shot of your kitchen, then all of a sudden that may cast more eyes over the property. And it might be they don't like the blue of your front door, but they do like the island kitchen you have, for instance. And so it makes them click and that click then can result in a viewing. But if you're still not getting action and you think everything else is right, then maybe the problem is your agent. First thing to do on that is look at your contract. You have to be careful about the liability for more than one agent's fees. So you need to look at the fine print, how long you signed up for, what the notice period is. And one of the biggest frustrations right now for me as an independent agent is that some of the large corporates are deliberately overvaluing houses and then tying in homeowners for unreasonably long periods of time. Contracts are 20 plus weeks, which are completely unreasonable in my view and actually unfair, should be illegal, in fact, in my view, but nonetheless, Buyers, sellers rather, are trapped with those agents, even though they can see now they've been hoodwinked and they're asking far too much for their home. And the problem for that agent is another completely separate side that you may not have considered. But negotiators, the people that sit at the other side of the phone waiting for it to ring or indeed making calls out, speaking to buyers, when your home has been around for a while, they lose confidence in it. Now, imagine that you overprice everything on your books. You end up with a lot of stock. And all of that stock, by definition, is overpriced. Then you've got negotiators that lose confidence in the whole thing. They think there's nothing selling because nothing is selling at the price at which they've pitched the properties. And they see all houses coming down in price because they weren't pitched properly in the first place. And because they've got too much stock, stock they can't service any of it properly. They don't know the properties well enough. They're not familiar necessarily with which way the garden faces or the particular selling points, nuances and great bonus points such as the station nearby or a great community are sometimes missed on the larger agents. So it's important that that is A, in the description and B, that your agents are aware of what you think the selling points are. Now, having said that, if you've looked at that agreement, you're not getting the service you deserve from the agent you're with. It's time to change. And there are advantages in changing. If you change agents, one of the great things about doing so is that you do come up then as a new listing on Rightmove and Zoopla and any other portals. Whereas if you stay with your existing agent, change the price, you'll come as a price change. So listing as a new property can be a real advantage. The other thing to say is that sometimes to drop a price bracket can make a, a huge impact. So for instance, if you're on the market at uh, 500,000 and you're getting no response, and you're really looking for a figure of, you know, 470, 480, 
you might be better going to a price point of offers over 450,000 and then refusing offers that come in lower than you need to make your move work, but ending up with a much larger audience because you're at a lower price point. It's a really important thing to do is to make sure that people are really tempted to come and look at your house because you are out there in competition with many others in today's market. It's not like the old bullish days now. It really does mean you've got to pull out all the stops and make sure your agent knows exactly what they're doing and that your price is at a competitive point because if it's not, you will lose out against other properties which are selling through agents like myself because we're aggressively marketing them at the correct price points, making sure we get as many people through the doors and servicing them properly. And if not, advising our clients what they can do to make sure that that sale happens for them. I hope that's helpful for you. In terms of the selling market, the window now for the best part of this year is closing rapidly. So today we're in the 2nd of June. June's a very good month for house sales in my experience. Come July, August, especially where we are, is mostly family homes. Families tend to go away. And when they go away, when the children are off school, they give up the hunt. They decide to have fun with the children, spend their time in their garden, perhaps go away for the family holiday, visit friends and relatives. And so over the summer holidays, we find things quietened down, particularly in July and August. Then we have what we call the mum's market, second week in September. And to give you a bit of context for that, imagine in August, it's balmy hot in the garden. The children are out there playing. You and mum or dad are sat in the lounge looking out at the children. It's a great day. Then all of a sudden, bang, the heavens open. The rain comes down. In comes Timmy and Susan and their bikes and all their other toys. They're all dotted around the garden and they are all dragged into the lounge. Then you're looking at each other and thinking, this place is too small for us for. Then is the time you start to think about the move. And it's not an actionable point until the summer holidays end. And when the summer holidays end, you'll then start thinking about it. And the reason I call it the mum's market in September is it's my experience that the mum drives the hunt in September. 90% of the calls we get into our office are from the lady of the household driving the search forward. And they usually come in second week in September onwards. But this is quite a finite window. So you need to be ready. Your house needs to be prepared. And if you're releasing in September, you should have all the photographs done in late August. So you're ready to crack on as soon as you can in September. The first week's a bit quiet while people get settled into their new working routine and talk about their summer holidays with their friends. The second week, it comes on quite strong. And of course, the reason why it's a time limited thing is because everybody sees the new year as a new start. They see Christmas as an end point and therefore they're looking to either be in at Christmas or not bother. And if they're looking to be in at Christmas and they're moving in September, that's actually quite tight. You know, the average sale now running at 12 to 16 weeks or even longer. If you're a leasehold flat, you can see why that's not as easy as it might sound initially. Nonetheless, they're the two times you've got the springtime, number one for, for selling. And then number two is the September market. They're the most important markets of the year as far as property is concerned. I hope that's helpful if you think of selling. Lastly, on for sale boards, a lot of people ask me, you know, are for sale boards worth having? Do they make a difference? Yes, they do. Why do they? Well, number one, there are 24 hour salesperson sat outside your house. Will it mean your neighbors know that you're selling? Yes, it will. But you know what? They already know. They've got Zoopla alerts and Rightmove alerts on their phone. They know you're going. So even if you haven't told them, trust me on this, they already know. So the idea that somehow it protects you by not having a for sale board because it's much more private is just not true. 
obviously if anyone knocks at your door you should refuse any viewings um if somebody's particularly vulnerable then that's a different issue entirely but if they're not then i would suggest a for sale board is a 24-hour salesperson and what you catch with that is somebody that's perhaps looking from out of area happens to have come along and viewed another house which is on the market which you're not aware of which is maybe you know just a few doors away even and then they catch sight of your for sale board and think oh wow look there's another house just like the one that we viewed. I wonder if we can view it. And they'll call the agent and set up a viewing. So for sale boards, for all their ugliness and the fact that people will say, oh, I don't want people knowing my business. People already know your business. It's out there. It's on the Internet. There are actually times now when we do some very discreet sales, when we don't actually put things on the Internet. Um, but that's for those sellers that really do want things to remain private and are prepared to sacrifice a little bit of cash in order to keep that. And the reason I say that is that obviously the best way to market any property is to widely expose it because then you make sure it's exposed to as much competition as possible. However, there are those sellers that approach us and say, well, you know what, if we can find a buyer at this price point, then we'd be happy to sell. And if it's a little bit lower, we don't really mind. Then actually that might be the way to sell what we call an off-market sell. And we've recently tied up many sales around a million pounds, even north of a million pounds in that sort of scenario. So if you are looking for a private and discreet sale, it is something that can be arranged. But in my experience, to get the very best price, you need to expose it widely. Uh, awkward as that may be for people knowing your business, you've got to really put that emotion aside if you're going to move forward with a house move. Now, in terms of the type of people looking, we've got the usual three Ds, um, death, debt and divorce. They're always happening, sadly. And those properties are coming to the market. And some of those properties are motivated sellers as well, which is good if you're a buyer out there looking. And there's always two sides of the coin. Of course, if you're a buyer out there looking in the middle ranges, you're probably selling a flat. Now, flat sales have been struggling for many years many years now but now all of a sudden we're finding that they're getting a little bit more active and the reason is some of the people that were renting are now looking at the rents they're paying which are astronomical and getting higher still every month are deciding that rather than chuck their money away on rents they'd rather chuck that money towards their own future and buy a place of course it's easier said than done um, because for many people finding the deposit is a difficulty although there are some 100 percent mortgages out there as you may have heard from the nationwide and the like not financial advice we're not financial advisors but uh, nonetheless it's interesting that we've gone full circle on that if you go back uh, 20 years or so ago there were in fact 125 percent mortgages available from people like the northern rock that would give you 100 percent of the loan on the house and then 25 percent to go on holiday with or put in a new kitchen bathroom and extension whatever you wanted it was extraordinary and of course it all fell down like a pack of cards as we know uh, and a housing crash then came along but this time around it's very different they're being very cautious in the way they lend and the attitude they have toward people so it's not so much a kind of likely to cause a pack of cards effect in my view. Landlords are selling up. Well, there's no surprise here, is there? The uh, Renters Reform Act. By the way, something on the Renters Reform Act this week, just to put it out there. Many of you have asked me about let's with pets. You know, everybody's talking about pets. I think they're actually a very minor part of the new legislation. Um, but yes, tenants can request a pet and landlords can't unreasonably refuse that. Um, landlords are asking how they can defend against this. Well, you still have your discretion. You can still say, well, what are the circumstances of that tenant versus what are the circumstances of another? And then you can make your own decision. Uh, you don't have to be bullied into it. And there's a huge difference, isn't there, between, between someone with, you know, a couple of very large dogs and someone with a budgie. So, you know, you also need to find out what kind of pet, uh, what age, 
Um, you know, and will will if it's a dog, especially, I always think, will someone be there for it? Because one of the big problems with dogs is if you leave them alone, they tend to bark, and that can be awful for other people in the neighbourhood, and it's really not fair on neighbours, in my view. So it's always worth asking those kinds of questions. But nonetheless, if your tenant then gets a pet and you can't reasonably refuse it because you've got a house, then you can insist that the insurance is covered and they pay extra for that insurance. As far as I can see, there's going to be, um, you're going to be allowed to do that. Um, it's going to be one exception, but we'll see. Obviously, these things are still going through. It's still a white paper. Remember, the bill's still going through Parliament. Will it get through in the next year or so? I don't know. I don't think it will, um, but it's soundbite politics. I just heard Kate Faulkner actually talking about the um, the asteroid heading towards the Earth in terms of, not building new homes and landlords selling up and the pressures this is creating for the housing market. And they're talking about pets and, and very much side issues when what they should be doing really is building new homes. That's the big problem. And they're not. But nonetheless, articles in the Telegraph and the Express today, um, according to Zoopla, landlord properties accounted for 11 percent of sales last month as high mortgage rates and energy bills forced many owners to place their homes on the market as they struggle to make a profit. The average price of a previously rented home is 190000 Zoopla found a quarter below the average asking price of the typically owned house. Uh, in other words, we buy buy-to-let properties at a lower price point than we would buy for our own family home, which is understandable, isn't it? Waterside properties have surged in popularity, apparently. This is according to the Daily Telegraph. Uh, the pandemic has led to a surge in demand for waterside properties with buyers seeking solace from lockdowns on rivers and lakes and by the sea. Why not too? Waterside homes have helped pace the wider market for the first time in five years, with prices growing by an average of 10 percent in 2022 compared to 8 percent for the national market. According to a report by Jackson Stops Estate Agents, it found the average price paid for homes in waterside locations had written 23 percent in five years, with riverside locations consistently carrying the highest premiums. Coastal homes have seen some of the biggest price rises with Brighton and Hove now seeing the biggest premium for sea properties of anywhere in the UK. Well, of course, Brighton's such a big city as well. You know, it is London by the sea, really, isn't it? Apart from those beautiful lanes, which we all love. Mortgage approvals have slumped in April, according to The Telegraph. And they fell by 1.4 billion, showing a much slower market, of course. And um, obviously, we're looking at a lot of remortgaging as well. Remortgaging cost of rise as well. They're saying that now this is an article in The Times saying that the cost of remortgaging has increased by 38 percent since 2019, with homeowners paying an extra 350 pounds a month on average. Uh, home sales have also fallen by 25 percent in April compared with the same month last year. And nearly 10 percent of mortgage deals disappeared over the course of the last week, of course. And this is as they reprice the loans after the sharp rise in borrowing costs. And this is because the swap rates, inflation has been so stubborn that where we were hoping for and expecting a drop in interest rates about the middle of this year. Now, the widely held expectation is that these rates will not drop. And this is likely to trigger a recession, according to The Telegraph. Uh, Moody's has warned that higher mortgage rates will cause a recession in the UK, US and Germany. However, the UK will be the only advanced economy to record negative growth across 2023. We're particularly vulnerable to recession because we have short term fixed rate mortgages, as I mentioned earlier. And that makes a huge difference. If you're fixed for a long time, of course, then repricing of interest rates doesn't affect you at all. Um, in The Daily Telegraph, there's an article saying that more 
uh, land is needed for elderly housing as retirees struggle to, struggle to find smaller homes. This is the problem is we don't have enough smaller homes and we need those because we need retirees to consider moving out of their big homes to allow the families to move in because we're not building enough. It all comes down to the fact that we're really not building enough homes. Um, in terms of the Renters Reform Act, nothing much new to report there other than the fact that it's still progressing through Parliament. People are talking about the new uh, there's going to be a landlord portal and the landlord portal will require that all landlords register their properties online. And there'll also be a redress scheme. We as estate agents have to have a redress scheme, but the wider landlord community will also have to be part of a redress scheme in order to practice under the Renters Reform Act rules. And this will be along the lines of you'll pay a fee to uh, an adjudicator that if there are any problems with landlords, then the tenant can appeal to that adjudicator. So no doubt there'll be more fees coming uh, for landlords. One of them will be that adjudicator and the other one will be no doubt there'll be a registration cost for this portal. What we're hoping for, and I know the NRLA and many other professional bodies are hoping that the local landlord registration schemes will be withdrawn in the light of there will be a duplication with a national scheme under the Renters Reform Act, because it's a complete nonsense, isn't it, that you pay a local authority for licensing so that they can expect everything, inspect everything rather, when in fact there's a national portal that makes you do that anyway. So in my view, these schemes should become redundant and all these local authorities that have been capitalising on landlords will have to rescind those schemes i think well i certainly hope because i think it would be a travesty if landlords have to pay a landlord licensing scheme fee to the local authority and then a registration fee to a central portal the two things are at conflict conflict as far as i'm concerned and this year a record nine billion pounds has been pumped into isis this is interesting because a lot of that money would have gone into property investment in my view but at the moment people are nervous about property they're nervous about everything aren't they um, but the stock market hasn't done any better than property i'll tell you that over the past few years if anything property's performed better and it does have that advantage of having that regular and reliable income and it's very reliable that's the thing about landlord income i don't think that you should invest in solely property any more than you should put your money solely into any isa but I do think it's good to have some property in the mix there because what it's really good at is being a hedge against inflation. You know, when everything else is rising, so are rents, as we're discovering at the moment. And if you're holding property and you're renting it out, then those rent increases will protect you against those inflation rises. Of course, at the moment, the problem is that we've got interest rate rises as well, which are negating any of those uh, potential rises. And it's a bit tough out there. And I don't see that changing anytime soon this year. I think it will start to ease next year and we'll start to see confidence return to the housing market in a larger scale then. But in the meantime, does that mean you shouldn't move? Not necessarily. If you've got equity in your home and you feel the time is right, rather than try and call the market, here's a thought. Why don't you do what's right for you and the family? And that means moving when it suits you, because if the market's a little bit up or a little bit down and you're moving somewhere else in the UK, chances are it's a little bit up or a little bit down where you're looking to buy as well. And providing you have sufficient equity to make the move, there's no reason why you really shouldn't. So thanks for listening today. As always, I hope you have a fantastic week. Look after yourselves and if you can, your family and friends. Ciao. Thank you so much for joining us on yet another edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers podcast. 
You can find out more at our website, jamesalexander.com. You can email me directly, ken at jamesalexander.com. We are estate agents and we can give you hints, tips, tricks and advice wherever you're buying, selling, moving to or from. Thanks to Ben Sounds for the intro and outro today and thanks to Jack Bowles for production. 